Father, indeed, you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be glorified and to be magnified. We pray now, Father, that in this moment, as we open up your word to peruse it, Lord, that you would have both, that you would be glorified and magnified from your word through the preaching and the teaching of your word. The word that was spoken in Genesis 1 when you said, let there be, and the word that we know to be true in John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the word. We pray tonight, Father, that your word would be glorified. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we read the scriptures from Romans chapter 12, just two verses tonight. I'm just going to step my big toe in the verse one of, of chapter 12. But trust me, we're going to get there. There's a lot of meat in these scriptures. And so we're not in a hurry. So let us begin reading Romans 12, one and two. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated. Thank you, praise team. First Chronicles 12, 32. It says that the son of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times and to know what Israel ought to do. This means that these men, as one of the 12 tribes of Israel, that they were discerning of the times in order to help lead Israel, God's covenant people, accordingly. In June 2015, many of you were not here. I said that we needed to go to the book of Genesis because Genesis is where we get as Christians our foundation for everything. We get the institution of creation. We get the understanding that human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. That's in Genesis chapter one. We get the institution of marriage that is between one man and one woman. We see that in Genesis chapter two. 
We get the institution that humans are created as male and female genders in the image of God. We get that in Genesis 1, 27. And I said something on that following Sunday after the Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage Friday of June the 26th, that we had as a nation, that we had entered into a new season, a new paradigm here in the West. And I said that it would only be a few years, some of you were here, before male and female gender would be up for debate. Some of you laughed and said, that's no way. And I said that Genesis 1:27 would come under severe scrutiny and attacked and criticized. I said that as a nation in a country, I said that we were headed towards what Christian historians say is now a post-Christian culture. A post-Christian culture is a culture where the Christian faith and worldview no longer has a dominant influence in that society. And this is the world that most Christians around the world live in, like China, the Middle East, or in some of the Asian countries like Indonesia. A world that is totally hostile towards the very notion and worldview of Christianity with its exclusivity message that Jesus is the only way to salvation. As Acts 4.12 says, that salvation is found in no one else, not in Buddha, not in Allah, not in Oprah Winfrey, not in Hollywood, that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. My brothers and sisters, this is the world that the Christians in Rome encountered. A world of plurality with many gods, with a small g, and goddesses. And most Bible commentators believe that Apostle Paul's letter arrived in Rome somewhere around 57 AD. But history tells us that it was in 64 AD, after they received this letter by Paul to the Christians in Rome, but in 64 AD, under the leadership of Emperor Nero, that the Christians were first and horribly targeted for persecution as a group. And there were many reasons for the persecutions, depending on the local governors and how zealously or not they pursued or prosecuted the Christians. But we know that one of the main reasons that the Christians were persecuted was because of this fact. Pagans or unbelievers were suspicious of the Christians' refusal to sacrifice to the Roman gods. 
And they were many. So the pagans and the unbelievers were like suspicious. And furthermore, the Christians refusal to offer sacrifices to the emperor, a semi-divine monarch, had the whiff of both the sacrilege and treason about it. So if you didn't worship the emperor, you were seen as almost being somewhat not a true Roman person. Your um, citizenship was up for debate if you didn't bow down and kiss the pinky of the emperors. But overall, the Christian worldview and behavior was opposite of the pagans and unbelievers around them. And we see this in 1 Peter in our first slide. We see this, how different the Christians were. It says in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, Peter is telling us, arm yourselves also with the same understanding. Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time that we have on this side of heaven, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for the human desires, but for God's will, which shows up in verse two of, I mean, verse one of Romans, I mean, Romans 12. But verse three, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. Some of us have gotten called out of Egypt just over the last few years. But up until that point, we were doing exactly what the pagans, which is called Gentiles, the unbelievers do. What are the things that we did and that we do and that they are doing and even today? Here it goes. The Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior. In other words, there are no barriers. They have the open highway to go 180 miles per hour. Slow down when they want to slow down. Speed up when they want to speed up. They make the rules as they go. In fact, they don't have any rules. Unrestrained behavior. In fact, the behavior is so crazy, you can't make sense out of it. Unrestrained, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, that's in the word of God. Crazy sexual craziness, carousing, and lawless idolatry, meaning they make up stuff as they go. It's all idolatry, just there are no laws. Even when there is a law, they call good evil and evil good. So if you say you believe in killing children, you go on the news, you get celebrated. You're a great person that you believe that it's all right to do something that is evil. The whole world says, yes, lawless idolatry. And then here it goes, it says, but they are surprised. 
then you don't join them. Come on, Brother Hardy. There's drunkenness and orgies happening over here. Come on down. The price is right. You are the next contestant. But they're surprised when you say no. That you don't join them in their same flood of wild living. And they slander you. They counsel you off of the social media. You post something that is righteous and good on social media and they you get one like. But if you post something about the other stuff, you get a thousand likes in less than five minutes. But if you say a man is a man, you get a half a like. <laughs> even the Christians don't even want to like it because they don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to be slandered. So hey, I ain't going to like that. I'm going to skip over that. I'm PC and I don't see Brother Hard typing that one. But they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. They cancel you. But they will give an account. I'll come back to this. But they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge. Chad read it in the Apostles Creed. It's in the word of God who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Oh, there's a judgment coming. You can bank on it. Well, Romans 12, 1 starts out with the word therefore. But let me back up. Give us commentary here before I get to this Romans. The reason why I get this intro, I'm 54. I believe my wife and I are somewhat the oldest in the room, maybe a few more with me and her. And um, I grew up in a Christian worldview in Sardis, went to school, was taught the Lord's Prayer, 23rd Psalm, and the Ten Commandments, and the Pledge of Allegiance, and then we sat down. That was when I went to school. So going to school in my first years in Sardis and Selma, I was taught that whether I was being taught that at home or not. And all around me, I knew from the kid growing up that living with a girlfriend that you were not married to was sin. That was a known thing throughout my upbringing all the way up to high school. I knew that sex outside of a marriage committed to one man and one woman was sinful. Sandra and I grew up in that world. It was not celebrated. Um, parents didn't go and have a baby shower when someone had a baby out of wedlock. In fact, if you got pregnant, they sent you away, either up, up north, down south, because they didn't want that to become the norm. That was a generation that I was born in. But I would not be a good pastor. And God really has put this on my heart. And the reason why I gave you and talking about the persecution, because we are turning a corner. Most of you are young parents. Your children are under the age of one and two years old. You are going to have to raise your children in a generation that's totally different than I have never experienced, nor anyone living in America. Except for those who have come from other countries where Christianity was not the dominant influence. And so then, how shall you live? That's what we're getting to. 
Some of you will be having children. And the schools that we went to, that I went to, and many of you went to, will not be the same schools that your children will go to. And so I would not be a good pastor if I don't give you and make this real. Because Romans 12, 1 and 2 is in our laps here tonight. So I'm not rushing through it. I really want us to sit with it. And I believe what's coming down the road is going to be a great persecution. Some said America is long overdue. Most countries have been getting persecuted for years, like China and Africa and some of those countries. Well, we're about to see where our faith really lies. Or we're professing outwardly, but inwardly we're somewhere else. Because you can see, um, and that's okay, because the word of God is the word of God. No matter what season we're in, it is still the word of God. So, Romans 12.1. Paul starts out with the word, therefore. The Apostle Paul has used this word on three occasions in this letter to the Romans. In Romans 2.1, Romans 5.1, Romans 8.1, when it says, therefore, now no condemnation. Romans 5.1, therefore, we have been justified. We have peace with God. And now tonight, which I believe is the summary of all of his therefores. Therefore, Paul says, this therefore always points back to the previous doctrinal arguments and thesis that have been made so that you will understand the connection on what is coming. When Paul says, therefore, that you would understand the connection on what is coming and what has been said. And this, therefore, is referring to the saving acts of God here in Romans 12. 1. This, therefore, is referring to the saving acts of God in history. That Apostle Paul has very meticulously spelled out from chapters 1 all the way to chapter 11, which I spoke on last week, where Paul got to the end of all of the work of what God was doing with the Jew and the Gentile. He just came to a place in his doxology, which is a praise in a hymn. He just broke down and just started shouting like a Pentecostal. He said, all the depths and the riches and the, and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Talked about his ways are untraceable. The past finding out who can understand God. Paul just came to a place, God, you're just too much. That's the old guy said, God, you're just too much. You know, with the too much. Can't, can't comprehend the bigness of God. But Paul in this therefore is referring to that. I really don't think the average professing Christian understands what Apostle Paul says after the word therefore 
when he says brothers and sisters in view of the mercies of God. I don't really think the average Christian, professing Christian, truly understands what Paul is saying in that verse. Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, this word mercy means to show compassion, pity, mercy, tenderhearted, having strong bowels, feeling gut-level sympathy for someone, deep compassion. Paul says, therefore, in view of the mercies of God, the mercies of God can't really be sweet to you and I. And this is what I see with a lot of saints, that the mercy of God, these mercies of God, they can't really be sweet to you until we really grasp what God has spared us from. Which Apostle Paul says is the divine wrath of God, which he mentions in Romans 1.18, which is my first slide. I want to show you that. This divine wrath of God in Romans 1.18. I don't think Christians really understand this mercy. Tonight, I want to make mercy sweet. How many of you like candy? How many of you like bitter candy? You don't like bitter candy. I got candy sweet. I want to make mercy sweet to you tonight. Because you got to say, Pastor Hardy, you know, you started off with Christian suffering and being killed and slaughtered all day long for his name's sake. You ever ask yourself, why would Christians go through that? Why would they be killed, necks cut off, thrown into lion's den and all that stuff? Mercy's got to be sweet to them. And my job tonight to help you to understand when we get to next week and the following week, then how then shall we live for this king? But you've got to know the mercy that he's given to you. So here it is. It says, I don't think we really understand mercy because we don't understand this. And Paul says, which he starts out early on in the book of Romans, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That God's wrath, his, his, his stored up anger, his orge is the Greek word, is being revealed from heaven against all unrepented sinners. This anger describes the heated passions of God that are inflamed against 
all ungodliness and unrighteousness. This wrath of God is it is twofold. It's happening now. And the future wrath of eternity in the lake of fire, which is mentioned in Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15, which I want to show you. I don't see my brother Noah. So Noah's not here tonight. Noah sent me um, a video through Messenger last night, and he must have been reading my mind because it was really good. And the guy was preaching on this very text, and he was making some of the same things I'm making tonight. An African-American guy, I don't know his name, but it was really good. I mean, Noah said, man, this is good stuff. So it was just the Holy Spirit. So I said, no, you, God's just already preparing you to be a preacher because it seems like every time him and I get together, it always be something that I'm either affirming that what he's been thinking or vice versa. But here in Revelation, I talk about the wrath of God is both now and it's also a greater judgment coming. And here's what this greater judgment looks like, which will God will judge all the unrepentant sinners and they will have their lot in the lake of fire. I want to make mercy sweet because I know we don't hear this all the time. And so people are playing around or they think somehow that all of what we're going through is all for naught. I'm here to help you understand. This is in the holy word of canon of scripture. Jesus says the book of Revelation is one book that you should read all the time. Now, I'm buying a lot of books on Revelation because I'm going to preach it within the next year or so. I promise you I will get there. Maybe after this Roman series, I don't know yet. So I'm buying some books because it's a very hard, not a hard thing to, to preach. You just got to know what you know and preaching through it. So I'm buying books now as I'm reading and studying it through that as I'm going through the book of Romans. But the writer of Revelation says it's a blessed thing to read it. Who hear the words of this prophecy, which are written in this book. Look what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it, Jesus, son of God. This is not a playing field. No more jokes, no more games, no more hide and seek. No one can hide. Can't find no mountains to hide. Can't hide underneath your Jordans. No closet, no nothing. Can't hide underneath your dear Chad. You were right there in front of everybody. And I saw a great throne and one seated on it, and earth and heaven fled from his presence. And no place was found for them, those on the left and those on the right. No more jokes, no more games. You won't be able to say, I blame him or blame her. Here's about to go down. And also I saw the dead. They can't even hide. And the great and small Bill Gates, Bezos, and all the filthy rich kings and queens that have lived down to the poorest guy standing on the corner asking for money. Poor, great, and small standing before the throne. So the poor can't hide. And the books were open. The books that are being written down on every detail of the lives. And standing before the throne, the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. 
and the dead will judge according to their works by what was written in the books. Whether you were for abortion or against it, whether you cheered it on, y'all know right now as we're singing songs and praising the Lord just a mile and a half down the road, there are people that are going inside of the bellies of women, most of them black, and children are being killed. I just want to drop that in your heart. Before the throne. True judge. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Death, the angel of death. Hades is hell, the place where the condemned, unredeemed are right now. All of that was thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, a book of mercy, was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life. You go to Revelation 21 and it tells you the fornicators, the liars, the thieves, those who do sorcery. Their lot will be in the lake of fire. My third slide will bring me to, here's what I want to call, I'm going to walk you through some Westminster Shorter Catechism questions. Is how do the people whose names are in the book of life get there? I want to make this mercy sweet. This is the all of humanity standing before the throne. But how is it that all those whose names are in the book of life, how did they get there? Because Paul in the book of Romans, he's been spelling out that all are sold under sin. Jew and Gentile, God's message to the whole world. We're all sinful. We're all equally, we all participated in the very things that those who will be spending eternity in the lake of fire. But the question is, is how did our names get in there? I want to make mercy sweet. How did it get in there? Well, this catechism, we talked about it last week. It just basic questions of the biblical Bible helps you understand the scripture, help you learn the scriptures. And it's good to teach your kids, especially for those of you who've not been used to doing catechism. But this is a good way of teaching your children while they're one and two years old. Start having them memorize these questions. But here's the first question, according to Westminster Catechism, Shorter Catechism, question 13. Modern version, I took the modern version because the, the old English version, man, I don't speak that kind of English, so it's hard for me to understand. I'm from down south, Sardis, but I'm like, no, nah, I got to get to the modernized. Enough of Selma. <laughs> so here it goes. Did our first parents, Adam and Eve, 
remain as they were created. When God created them, did they remain that way? The answer is left to their freedom of their own wills. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. Genesis 3, against God and fell from their original condition. Question number 14. Then it asks, what is sin? Most people don't even know what sin is. The whole book, the whole gospel is about God addressing the thing in the earth called sin. Jesus, the Christmas story. Jesus came to Sozo to save us from what? From our sins. It's all about sin. So what is sin? Sin is disobeying or not conforming to God's law in any way. Question number 15. By what sin did your first parents, Adam and Eve, fall from their original condition? The answer is our first parents' sin was eating the forbidding fruit that we see in Genesis chapter 2. All right. Question 16. Did all mankind fall in Adam's first disobedience? Did we all sin? We've talked about this. We never have to teach the children how to sin. They just learn how to tell a lie. Where you learn how to do that little lie? What Jack downstairs? Pastor, why you learn like Jack? I don't know. Just, <laughs> I mean, I'm watching you and mommy or something. I don't know. We just know how to do it. I don't have to teach you how to lust. You, your eyes just have a way of knowing how to do it. Where's that coming from? It's called this. Since the covenant was made not only for Adam, federal headship, we talked about that, but also for his natural descendants, all mankind sinned in him and fell with him in his first disobedience. Question 17. So what happened to man in the fall? Man fell into a condition of sin and misery. Question 18, what is the sinful about man's fallen condition? The sinfulness of what's fallen condition is twofold. First, it is what is commonly called original sin. There is the guilt of Adam's first sin with its lack of original righteousness and the corruption of his whole nature Second are all the specific acts of disobedience that come from original sin. All comes from Adam. Question 19. Then what is the misery of man's fallen condition? By their fall, all mankind lost fellowship with God. We're separated from God. And brought his anger and curse on themselves. They are therefore, this is some turn the corner. They are therefore all mankind, Chinese, Japanese, black people, white people, Africans, Europeans, English, Britain, Australians, Austria, Germany, Russians, all the nations. We're all in the same condition. His anger and curse on themselves they are therefore subject to all the miseries of this life that we see every day to death itself in the pains 
of hell forever. Now I'm going to the next question. Hold on. Keep it there. I said I want to make mercy sweet. This is all humanity. We were all dead in our sins and trespasses. Ephesians 2. But God mercy intervened. I want to make mercy sweet. Next question. The question is, catechism asks, did God leave all mankind to die in sin and misery? How did their names get in the book of life? From all eternity and merely because it pleased him. This is what I've been trying to tell you in Romans 8. Those God foreknew, he called, he predestined. This is the mystery of God's love that Karen and Bree were singing about. I want to make God's mercy sweet to you. From all eternity, it merely because it pleased God. Look what I underline because I want you to see it. God chose some to have everlasting life. He put their names in the book of life. Then he freed from sin and misery by a covenant of grace and brought them to salvation. That mercies that Paul is referring to by a redeemer. Next question. What is effective calling? This is what we taught through Romans 8:30. Effective calling. Those whom God has called, he has justified. God calling is the work of God's spirit who convinces us God convinced you and I that this story was real. That's why you're here. We were bound and locked in Egypt. We were blinder than Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles. But God reached down with his gripped hands of mercy, dripped in blood, and he unremoved the blindness. And some of your friends are still there, and they will be on that throne. But why are you not there? Because God convinced us that we are sinful. I remember when it hit me, people asked me, Pastor Hardy, we hear your story. They keep caught up in the story of my racial woundedness. They never really want to hear how I got over it because I saw that I was just as wicked as the people who were doing it to me. And by the grace of God, he reached out and helped me see it. He convinced us that we are sinful and miserable, who enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ and who renews our wills. And this is how he persuades and makes us able to receive Jesus Christ because no man will come to Jesus on his own. Jesus says in John 6, 44, no man will come to the father except that he draws him. The word literally means in the Greek to drag you. God had to come down to Egypt where you were partying in orgies and drinking all the Bud Light and all the beer you could drink and never get enough. of. And God had to drag you out of there. He had to drag you out of that selfishness. He had to drag you out of your own narcissistic thinking. 
He had to drag you out. And he persuades us. Next question, this is the last one. Then what benefits do those who are effectively called share in this life? This is what Romans has been telling us. In this life, those who are effectively called, they share justification by faith that Jesus Christ is a mediator. He's a redeemer. And in him, we have peace with God, that we have been adopted, made the children of God. Not everyone is a child of God, even though God has created every human, but not everyone is a child of God. We have spoken about that. Sanctification, we're constantly growing and being renewed in our mind after the word of God. And the other benefits that either go with or come from them, the benefits. Now, based upon our understanding of this mercies granted to us in the gospel, Paul now comes to this point. He says, therefore, therefore, in view of what God has done for you, do you understand what God has done? That you believe there are eight billion people on the planet. Not everyone believes. And the mystery of who comes and who doesn't come is a mystery to the greatest theologians of the world. All we know is that no one would come on their own. We're all dead in our sins. But somehow, by the grace of God, some are made alive. How? The word told us we're all equally sinful. But God chose out of the sin for humanity of Adam and Eve to choose some for himself. And Paul now comes to the Romans, he says, now to your, those of you in Rome, in view of the mercy of God, those folks have been saved out of idolatry, homosexuality, all kinds of stuff. In view of God's mercy, you now present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which Chad read to you earlier, your body, which the word of God says has been what? Purchased or what? Bought with a what? Price. What was the price that God gave to get you out of Egypt? His blood. His death. Now, in view of God's mercy that God chose, he elected you, called you out of Egypt. He availed your eyes to the mercy of his grace and goodness. You now present your bodies, brothers and sisters, as a living sacrifice. We present our bodies, our total body, consisting of skin and bones, the entire personality. God wants all of you. It matters what kind of music you listen to and movies you watch. God wants all of you. It matters to what God, what you would do with your hands and what your eyes look at. It matters to God. He said, present your bodies. What are you giving your ears to? 
What are you doing with your hands? It matters to God what you allow to come into your ears. He says, now in view of God's mercy, God says, present your whole body to me. What do I mean to you? Do I mean anything to you? How then shall you live? If you know anything what I've done, how then shall you live? Will you be the old Alton? Will you live for me? Even though those over there will tease you and slander you and make all kinds of slander attacks against your name, you'll be canceled. But will you present your bodies as a living sacrifice? It matters to God what you and I allow to come in our ears. It matters to God what we do with our hands and everything else. It matters what we do with our eyes. Paul says, in view of the mercy of God. See, the folks on the scene that God will say, I'm going to write everything that you've done with your eyes, you've done with your hand, you've done with your, your heart. I have watched it and wrote it down. It has been written in the book. But for the Christians, God says, in view of the mercies of God, what do you and I do? True worship consists of the consecration of the heart, the mind, the will, and the words, and the deeds that we do. This living that Paul says here, that we present our body as a living sacrifice. This living, this word living refers to the fact that you and I are not a robot. He's not going to make you. It's in view of his mercy that you present your body. He's not going to make you come to church. He's not going to make you do things for him and sing to him. He's not going to make you. You are not a robot. But God says, in view of my mercy when I've done for you, what will you do now? Will you serve me? Will you shun the laughter of your friends who call you names because you go to church on a Sunday night? Do I matter to you? You are not a robot. I'm not going to make you do it. But in view of my mercy, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand that over all of the humanity that I picked you, I chose you? Does that matter? You're living. I mean, you don't have to present. You don't have to present your body. You can say like what I see a lot of Christians do. I want the grace, but I don't want nothing to do with God. I don't want to. I just want the grace. Just spare me from hell. I don't want to present my body to you where you can wheel it where you want. Nah. Worship is all for God. So there's living refers to the fact that you and I are not a robot and the process of meditating on the mercies of God is an ongoing sanctification endeavor. You can disobey in the process and sin willfully because of the sinful affections of your heart and inward desires that war against your mind and will, which Peter talks about, that wars against us. And we can say, you know what? I'm going to give into that. But Paul has already told us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can fight against sin. 
that fights against us. It all starts with, Paul says, therefore, in view of the mercy of God. I am convinced, and I say this started off, that the average Christian are not really aware of the mercy of God. That all of salvation is a work of free grace in your life. So when you reflect on that, you fight for unity of the faith. You fight for one with your brothers and sisters. You're able to fight for John 17 because you know that if it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't even be in. It's all of grace. But more importantly, because of this mercy of God and the world around us, as Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed that God has called us to live differently, to live according to his will. Why would we even pursue to live according to God's will? It's because of the mercy and the grace of God. It's not when we change laws in the state capital that brings change in the culture. It's when Christians live out what Romans 12, 2 says, that's how the culture changes. God saves people out of Egypt. In Rome, they did all kinds of stuff. I was sharing this with Dion. If I shared with you of some of the crazy licentious lifestyles of the Romans, which is coming to America now, it's nothing new under the sun. So you think it's just, well, okay, it's enough. No, sin has no bounds. It can't be fulfilled. It's going, it's going all the way to pedophilia. That's what the Romans were doing. That was the normal thing for in the culture of the Christians. Pedophilia was normal. You would say, well, your mind will stop. Not when you're in darkness in Egypt. They can't stop. They're bound by Satan. They can't see the light. To them, it's normal. That's what it was in the Roman Empire. I, said, I told DMA just reading this. I said, I don't know if the Christians can even understand how dark their mind can go. That's where it's headed. They're already working on it. But in the unbeliever's mind, that's normal. But to a holy, righteous God who sits on the throne, is an abomination. So why would we even desire to live for God? It's because of his mercy. So Father, I pray tonight that as we, in view of your mercy, as the catechism does it best in trying to explain, it was a work of your grace, free grace, that any of us here tonight would even be mindful to even have a heart to even want to live godly in a world where all around us is a flood of debauchery. It's like a mighty Mississippi River that's flooding downstream and God, no one is even trying to fight against it. 
that's the current in the flood of the world. Sin is like just drinking water. It's like how much sin can I sin today? What more sinful can I outdo on the next person on the East Coast? And God, if it wasn't for your grace to us, because we at one time, as Ephesians says, we are all were participators of that debauchery. Our hearts were darkening. Our eyes were not able to see. But you somehow, some way, through the gospel of grace, as it was being preached on the college campus, the campus ministry, or in a church, or through someone who was discipling us, you made us able to see, and you convinced us that we were sinful and rebellious against you. And by your word, and through your word, you brought us to repentance. And we confessed our sins and we stopped blaming others for our problems. And we just came to the reality that we were sinful. We stopped hiding like Adam and Eve were doing when you came looking for them, though you knew where they were. But you wanted them to say, I have sinned. But yet they blamed someone. They blamed somebody. They blamed some generation. They went and not confessed their sins. But God, you were able to cause us to confess our sins. And we said we were guilty. That we had sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And that our hearts were wicked. And that we needed a savior. And by your blip, drip blood drenched hand, you reached in and washed us clean. And you are still washing us through the water of your word here tonight. Father, I pray that as we now enter into a season of, of America that many of us have never seen before, where it's no longer just a right thing to say, boy or girl, because that may offend someone. Just using the wrong pronoun can now be seen, seen as something that's not right. But Lord, as we see these things come, may we be more willing to die for the cause as our brothers and sisters all over the world have done and are doing and those who have done it down through the history I pray that we would not lose hope but that we would get more hope because we spend our time feasting and meditating on your mercies which are forevermore abounding and great compassion this we pray in Jesus mighty name amen amen Please stand to your feet. Sorry, I went over a few minutes here. A few minutes, 10 minutes. Stand to your feet. Receive the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you this night and grant you his peace. Amen. Amen.